because I feel like I've gotten a few comments about how you, Corinne, have been wearing our rep or repping our merch way way more than I have. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Here's some facts. I wear our merch more than you. You own more of our merch than me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're, you have all of our offerings. Yes, but okay, I do wear our, our I'm in my Saturn Return sweatshirt a lot. I live in like oversized sweatshirts. So between our Saturn Return and my Creeps and Crime sweatshirts and Ladies and Tangents sweatshirt, like I kind of live, that's my rotation. I'm going to order one of our Conjuring House sweatshirts really oversized because they come in black. And I'm like, this is going to be my whole, like all of fall and winter, I'll get to wear this because all of the sweatshirts I own currently are all really light colored for the most part. And I was like, I need something darker and oversized for winter and to match your soul. And a match myself. Um, which by the way, we're gonna be on the road right now, or are we about to be on the road when this comes out? I don't think we're on the road yet, but here's the thing. We're recording this before tickets are even live for pre-sale because we also thank you to the people who have reached out to us, all of our listeners in support of the show, but then also in concern for us after seeing all the dates <laughs> that we were gonna burn ourselves out. We really appreciate that that was your first thought was our that well-being. Was so nice. That is so kind. We had put a lot of thought into our well-being as well. So we're pre-recording a lot of episodes (laughs) so that we can go on tour and not be waking up at 4 a.m. to record an episode before the next show. So if you're listening, you're kind of traveling to the past. You are. Months back. Well, um, one month. One month. One month. But basically, if you didn't know, we are going on tour we are going to 32 cities between September 7th and November 5th, 6th, something like that, the first week of November. Who knows? Maybe we'll just keep on going. We'll never stop. We'll never stop. So grab your tickets and we will uh, see you there. But until then, I have a book recommendation. Okay, let's hear it. So there's an author, Stacey Willingham, and she wrote A Flicker in the Dark which I feel like was a huge, everyone was reading it. I read it. I think I talked about it on the podcast before, but I just read her book, All the Dangerous Things. Did you put it on your summer reading list? Was this one of the ones on your list? No, because this one I started after I made my summer reading list and I crushed it in like two days. I truly like, I went, when I went to go to the gym, I was so hooked that instead of doing my workout, I got on the treadmill and I had the book open and was just like walking on an incline so I could keep reading. So nice. And then I was like walking around the kitchen reading as I was making dinner and stuff because I couldn't put it down. It truly, I love and I pride myself on the fact that I often in the first like 30 pages of a murder mystery, I pride myself on being able to guess accurately who did it, who done it. Who done it? You didn't get it? I did not get it. Okay, I need to read this. It was a wild ride. It was twists and turns and brava, Stacy. Brava. I posted it on our Instagram story and I fangirled for a second because Stacy responded to <gasps> it. Wait, what? 
Oh my God. Having an author respond to you, that is, that's a famous person. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm a huge fan of yours. That is, what did they say? What did she say? She said, so I posted the book and she said, oh, yay. Thank you. And I said, it's so good. Thank you. We're big fans of yours. And then she sent two hearts. I'm so glad. Oh, how sweet. That's so nice. Wow. Okay. I really want to read this. And she has another book called Only If You're Lucky. And that comes out in January 2024. Yeah. I definitely want to read this because I feel like I'm in the same boat as you where in movies too. I feel like just because we've absorbed so much that we easily, more easily predict what is going to happen. And so I would love it. I'm definitely going to read that book because if one, I don't know what's going to happen. And two, there's not some big monologue at the end where whoever is caught is like, here's everything I did and why I did it. I hate when people do that. I'm like, oh, it's not, that's not realistic. I mean, I do think like to some extent you do have to get some type of confession, but when it's, when it's like, oh, you couldn't have got there on your own, then it bothers me. But I love, she did such a fantastic job. I really, really, really appreciated it. Okay. Did you read If We Were Liars? Because that was another book that I had no idea the whole time what was going on. Is that the one that we both read? Probably at different times though, because I read it when we were in college and then I gave up at page 100 and then I picked it up again. And then after I finished it, I was like, this is incredible. Okay. Yes. It's basically the girls on like the island or, or wherever her family summers and everyone's being weird to her and she's hanging out with her cousins. And It's by E. Lockhart. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. It's being turned into a show, which I feel like will be oh. really fun to watch. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I, I hope it, I hope it's good because I like Little Fires Everywhere. I liked that book, but I did not like the... Those are such different show. books. I did not like that I, book. I, yeah. I didn't like the book though. So... Oh, really? I was hoping the show would be better and the book, it was just the same. Wait, what are you reading right now? I'm now reading The Last House on Needle Street. And I picked this up mm. at the airport when I was coming back after visiting my, after your wedding and meeting my little niece. And it has a quote from Stephen King saying a true nerve shredder. So I was like, ooh, if Stephen King likes it. I'm only like two chapters in, but the second chapter is from the perspective of a cat. And I was so taken <laughs> aback. Oh, does it stay like that? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But the first sentence of chapter two is, I was busy with my tongue doing the itchy part of my leg when Ted called for me. I thought, darn it, this is not a good time. But I heard that note in his voice. So I stopped and went to find him. So cute. Did you read The Art of Racing in the Rain? It's all from a dog's perspective. Oh, no. They actually, it sounds kind of like it would be ridiculous, but it's so good. Sometimes people really execute well on sort of the odd quirks of being a, a pet. Yeah. I mean, this has like a 4.5 out of 5 stars and it That's seems high. to be a murder mystery. So yeah. I'm in. Okay. Let us know how it goes. I'll keep you posted. I picked up the book. It's on my summer reading list. And as of today, which is the beginning of July, I haven't opened it, but I will finish it before. <laughs> I'm finishing all the books on my summer reading list. Akatar, A Court of Thorns and Roses. Have you heard of this? It's basically what I was told was it's incredible. You can't put it down. There's a bunch of books in the series. They're all amazing. You should read it. And then I'm like, well, what's it about? And then everyone's like, well, it's very <laughs> smut. <laughs> so. Oh. So I picked it up. Oh, that's perfect for you. 
I'm going to read my first fairy smut book. And uh, the person at the bookstore, I was buying it in some bookstore. God, where was I? I was in some like small town, Vermont or New Hampshire passing through. And I went to the local bookstore and bought it. And the girl whispered to me, she goes, after you finished this, Google Soapgate. And so I don't know what that means. And hopefully we're not going to get canceled from me whispering Soapgate on our podcast right now. I Now I need to know. Yeah. I haven't looked it up yet because I didn't, I wasn't sure if it, if I had to read the book first, A Court of Thorns and Roses, people call it Akatar, and then Soapgate. Are you looking it up too? No. Okay, good. She said it was big, big, big drama. Soapgate. She said, well, she basically said there was, it was something with a subscription box and it was big drama in relation to this book. But it had nothing to do with the author or this book. I think it was like a different, a whole different business that was trying to do something themed around this book. And she was, that's all she told me. She was like, just look up soap, soap gate. Okay. This it's like a whole long thing. So I will read it because I can't, I can't figure out what it is right now. Okay. Comment below. If you're watching on YouTube, let us know. Do you know what soap gate is? Okay. You said I searched soap gate and the first thing that came up was dick soap. And it is part of this, <laughs> but that's okay. the thing well, that's is that probably dick it. soap is part of Soapgate. So it must be, oh, you know what? I bet it, it probably, uh, if I had to guess, this is, I might be guessing wrong, but if I had to guess the same woman in the same conversation told me that this book used to be in the YA section and got moved to adult. So I wonder if the dick soap was extremely inappropriate because at the time it was a YA book, maybe. Oh, interesting. Maybe. I love oh, this author. How how great for her that this book created such a buzz that it got moved from YA to adult because it's so sexy. Good for the author. It's so spicy. Ooh. And then I, the the internet, because they track all of our data, they knew via my credit card that I purchased the book. And so on TikTok, after having never researched it or, or anything, just had conversations with people and purchased the book, I was, suddenly was getting sent all these videos of people wearing these sort of like fairy and elf outfits and doing sort of like LARPing. And I was like, why am I getting these videos? And then I was reading the comments and everyone's like, you do such a great impression of so-and-so and so-and-so. And then I looked up the character and it was from A Court of Thorns and Roses. So everything in the internet is telling me and in the universe, you got to read this fairy smut. And so fun. I shall. And this was also a recommendation from um, our friend Mia, <laughs> the one at Nikita's wedding that was like, get him. So shout out Mia for all the fairy smut wrecks. I love that. A bunch of people recommended Ninth House and I have the book because I was doing book of the month for a really long time. So I have the book from book of the month. And so that might be my next, that's my runner up or batter up, batter up in terms of book to read. Hey, you know what? When we eventually like fully settle into our, into our homes and new places and have our bookshelves all set up, I feel like we should do a highlight reel on our Instagram where it's just pictures of all of the books that we have. And maybe like one line, you know, just a a quick hit. That's going to be like a 500 post reel. Good. There we go. I have so many books. For me, I have, I can't stop buying them. Yeah. You're good at buying them 
like the actual physical copy. And I feel like I have probably a tenth of the books I've ever read physically. And then I did, I do, I know I probably shouldn't and I should just have the actual books, but I do Kindle. That's okay. I do Kindle sometimes too. But I've recently, one of my new favorite hobbies is going to like small independent bookstores and they're just so fun to look at. There's one in Ojai. Why am I blanking on it? That is so cool. It's basically all outside. So nice. Wait. Oh, Sabrina. Okay. When you're here, when we do our Boston show, let's go to Brattle Bookshop in Boston because it's all outside. And it's like in this little alleyway in Boston, like against the red brick. And it's very picturesque. Fun. Yes. Okay. So the one in Ojai is called Bart's Books. And it just has so many. It's beautiful. I think I posted pictures on my Instagram, but they sell pottery. They also have like different sections of the books. Oh, so nice. They had a little like kitchenette and it was all like cookbooks and stuff. It was really, really cool. I stop in every little free library that I see Uh, and look for books. Same. It's so genius. Anyway, send us your book recs. What are you currently reading? What's the best scary book you've ever read? Yeah. Or also just like best beach read because I feel like, Corinne, while we're on the road, we're going to be so busy that we're going to need some things to like bring us back down and like balance us. Oh, let's let's pick a couple audiobooks, Sabrina, that we listen to on the car rides when we're driving oh, to and from places. Oh, that's a good idea. We just sit in silence and listen. We could listen to all the <laughs> Harry Potter books. <laughs> oh my God, I love that narrator. <laughs> right? He's so good. That's what okay. we used to do when we were kids. But yeah, send recommendations because we'll pick a few and, and that will be our the background of our entire tour our in trip. our heads. Our road yes. trip. And movies too, because you and I are going to bunk up in bed and snuggle and watch movies at night. Yeah, we are. We never separate. We always are in the same hotel room. Yes. Sven will <laughs> be with us. Some people get their own. We don't. It's too It's scary. you, me, and Sven. Yeah. Snuggling in bed. Okay. Well, okay. I have a very interesting story to tell you. And it's not really a story, but it's more of a compilation of ghost stories. It's like thousands of stories. It's thousands of stories. And we're not even scratching the surface on everything that has happened in this place. We're doing a little bit of a tickle. Just tickle. Just a taste. Okay. So it all started when I was thinking about if I ever got to meet the president of the United States and I got to ask one question, I feel like the default that comes to my head and probably comes to many people's minds is, what do you know about aliens? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that would be a great question to ask, but I bet so many people have and they'll never give the true answer. And so I was like, I'm going to pivot my question and say, what do you know about the ghosts of the White House? Because a lot of people have experienced paranormal activity in the White House and the White House is sure as heck haunted. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's old. Think about how much stuff happens. Also, even me not being in politics, if I die, I would love to go haunt the White House and look through all of the secret documents. Oh, I know. Get to know all of the government secrets. There are a few women that haunt there that I I literally wrote in my research. I was like, I bet that this is what they do. I bet they're chilling here, not because they're stuck here, but because it's fun to prank people and wander around (laughs) and chill in the garden and then just see all the government secrets as it comes in. Like, what? That's so cool. I love that. They for sure 
go through documents. They like divide and conquer. And then they have a book club where they recap everything that they've discovered. Mm-hmm. They're like, meet me for tea in the, in the red room at two. I'll tell you what I saw <laughs> in the Oval Office. And you meet me in the Oval Office. <laughs> I was also thinking about this too after researching everything. I'm like, how many times when you were a child were you told you could be president one day, you can be whatever you want? And I feel like we're telling these eight-year-olds that they could be president one day, but I feel like we should also, within the same breath, say you could be haunted one day because that's basically, I think, synonymous at this point. <laughs> that's not what I thought you were going to say. I was like, <laughs> how morbid you? are we going? You're going to be a ghost one day. <laughs> you're going to die and you're never going to leave. <laughs> you get to haunt people one day. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of ghosts in the White House that are haunting people um, because over the years, over the centuries, many staff members, presidents, visit and even pets have reacted to unseen forces. And so I'll tell you a few of these stories. Okay. The year was 1946. President Harry S. Truman was slipping into bed, protected by secret service that were on the various floors of the White House. And there were many, many layers of walls separating him from any outside noises. Yet something had found him. In the wee hours of the morning, President Truman woke to a knocking at his bedroom door. Knock. Knock, knock. It was loud. The fist on the other side of the door pounding with such force. Are you okay? Yes. As you did that, my pipes gurgled. La Llorona, she's coming for us. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime there's water, I'm like, no. We're good. Okay, knock, knock. Okay. It was very, very loud. And so he obviously thought someone was on the other side of the door because what the hell could make that noise? But then there was silence. So he jumps to his feet, he grabs his bathrobe, and he quickly moves to the door. He whips it open, he peers out the door, peers down the long hallways, and there's absolutely no one. He later wrote a letter to his wife about the whole ordeal and many others. He wrote many letters where he talked about the ghosts. But in this specific letter, which is now archived in his presidential library and museum, by the way, which I think is so cool. That's so cool. I know. Now we have proof. proof. <laughs> he then, quote, went out and looked up and down the hall, looked in your room and Margie's, which was his daughter, Margaret, Still no one went back to bed after locking the doors and there were footsteps in your room whose door I'd left open, jumped and looked and no one there. I loved how he's writing such shorthand too, because it's like, he's scared. Yeah. He's like, here's what happened. And he's just like, jumped up. No one's there. Ran down the hall, open door. <laughs> no one's there. Heard a noise. And then he signs. One of the last sentences he writes is the damned place is haunted sure as shooting. <laughs> sure as shooting. I'm going to start sure using that. Shooting. And then he says, Secret Service said not even a watchman was up here at that hour. You and Margie had better come back and protect me before some of these ghosts carry me off. <laughs> I love this because it's not even a question of it being anything else. It is just, it is sure as shooting shit ghosts. I know that's not how he said it, but what is it's it? Sure, sure shooting haunted. Sure, sure as shooting. shooting haunted. It's haunted. I mean, Wait, what did he say? This damned place is haunted. Sure as shooting. Sure as shooting. Mm -hmm. Wow. When was the White House built? In the 1700s, late 1700s, because George Washington 
built it during his presidency, but he never got to live in it. He wasn't the first president that lived in it. So it's, it's a few it's a few centuries old. It's old. Okay. It's old. So similar to how President Truman's letter is now archived, there are a lot of ghostly encounters documented and archived because people are nothing if not great record keepers when it comes to things experienced by and around presidents. Although sometimes they're concealed, but eventually they're written down somewhere. So not only is the White House a famous haunted house, but it likely has the most verified sightings recorded over centuries, which I think is so cool that this is like the most recorded ghost sightings in history is the White House. That also infuriates me because if that's the case, shouldn't ghosts just be like completely accepted globally? (sighs) Right? Isn't that frustrating? Well, I guess it's the same reason why like not all the beliefs of every president who holds office are accepted by everyone. So I guess we all just have to learn for ourselves that ghosts are real. Fine. I'll just haunt everyone in the whole freaking world. (laughs) Suddenly your your notes app of people you will haunt is a billion people long. Literally everyone. Everybody. (laughs) Because then you want to say hi to the people that do believe in ghosts to just be like, hey, you were right. So (laughs) really just everybody. confirmation. Yes. Nine billion people. Okay. So the hauntings essentially started from the very beginning. It all started with David Burns. And I'm going to tell you who David Burns is and why he's so significant and why basically he's the reason we ish that we have the White House now. So David Burns was one of the first settlers in the area, which we now know that area to be Washington, D.C. And he lived in this little whitewashed cabin. He tended to his farm. And by tended to his farm, I mean like he had 600 acres. He was doing plenty great for himself. He didn't just have like this tiny little plot of land. (laughs) So he owned a sizable amount of land uh, and it had been passed through his family for generations and generations, or that was also the plan was to pass it down through generations. And he farmed various crops like peaches and tobacco. He had many other sort of fruit orchards going, and he was very protective over his land. If he believed someone had encroached on his land, David would take them to court. (laughs) And he also leased some of his land out to different tenants. But God forbid they did anything that he thought that might be against the property agreements that he had in place. They were gone within a minute, kicked off his land. So you had to follow his rules exactly. And even if you did, there was still a chance he might accuse you of having bad intentions and And still kick you off of his land. (laughs) You know how they say Americans are like, happy. Yeah. So um, so um, so um. Yeah. It's, it all started with Mr. Burns. Yeah. I feel like he, he's the inspo behind that phrase. Yeah. Well, and it's also ironic when people get so at this point in time are so possessive over their land that they just took from someone else. <laughs> so yeah. it's all a big, ironic and horrible stew. Stew. Yeah. So basically this guy, the gist of it is he expected respect, but gave none of it back uh, in return to anybody. So he also had 12 slaves. Let's remember that. And this attitude and the way that he operated earned him the reputation of being a very difficult neighbor. And people called him the obstinate Mr. Burns. George Washington called him that as well. So when George Washington's men came a knocking, asking all the local landowners to make deals with them so that they could build government offices and a presidential mansion, the White House, we can assume what David Burns's answer was, and it was, no. <laughs> this is my land. No. Go fuck yourself. I'm sure that's what he said. I'm sure that's exactly how he said it, Corinne. <laughs> yeah. 
I just picture him as being this like really large assuming man, but having the like tiniest little squeaky voice. <laughs> yeah. After many failed attempts at purchasing the land, George Washington himself went to David Burns's little whitewashed farm cabin and calmly explained the importance of this land and what how it will influence the establishment of this young nation and blah, blah, blah. I was trying to be very, you know, like man to man, respect, like you have a place in this history. Burns instead starts insulting him, basically saying that Washington's a gold digger and only got his wealth through marrying Washington's wife because Washington's wife had money from a previous ma marriage. So Washington is like, what? And basically returns by saying, I'm the government. I'm going to just take your land. End of story. He's like, I tried it the nice way, Burns. He did. And he couldn't quite just take someone's land. It didn't quite work that way at this point. I mean... But basically, he could intimidate him into it. Yeah. So I don't think any of us are feeling too bad for Burns at this point. Uh, but I will say that all of the other landowners who had sold their land to Washington and his men had other properties. They had other places to go. They had established properties elsewhere. Burns did not. So it felt like he was really having everything taken from him. He would have to completely uproot his life. It was all he had. So he was pleading with Washington, like, I, I, don't make me go. This is supposed to be passed down through generations of my family. We've been farming here for years and years and years. Okay. See, now when you say it like that, I'm mad at Washington. I think we can be mad at all of them. And that's the right answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everyone has always done something wrong, right? It's the human existence. There's room to hate everyone. There, yeah. Love and hate everything and everyone. Great. <laughs> what an inspirational podcast this is. <laughs> We're kidding. Be kind and love love everyone. I know. Treat yeah, people the way you want to be treated. This is kindergarten. Uh, yeah. No. We're all just hanging out, floating through life. We're all just trying to do our best. We are. But guess what? We're so disconnected from Washington from years and years and years ago that I feel like we can be a little spicy towards all these people because they're not alive. They can't. They're not alive. <laughs> that was 300 years ago. They might be um, haunting the White House though, so we should be careful. Okay. So basically Burns is like, not only will you be taking my land, but this new city infrastructure that you're proposing, it's going to ruin the land. It's going to ruin the soil. We're not going to be able to use it to grow food. You're like fucking up the whole ecosystem. What happened was one of Washington's men went out to survey the land that they had purchased, which abutted David Burns's property. And one of these guys, the surveyors, well, he wasn't just a surveyor. He was an important person, but one of these guys, he got really friendly with Burns and they were kind of like buddy-buddy, built a rapport, had some shared respect, which is not something that David Burns <laughs> established with many people. And so then finally Burns was like, ah, okay, fine. But here's what he did. Now, he said, yes, I'll sell you the property, but he sold it one acre at a time and wouldn't release the entire lot until long after George Washington was no longer president. <laughs> So it was, he specifically had beef with Washington. I, th I think so. I think just like the whole thing, but that was his plan was to just say yes, but be petty about it the whole time. I know we just said like, be kind to everyone. And like, I'm, I very much believe that for myself, treat people the way you want to be treated. But I have this like obsession with grumpy, like vengeful people. They're so creative. Like, I love how much effort 
this man put into trying to make other people miserable Mm-hmm. But in the end, was making himself more miserable. Like it's just creating more work uh, for him. Like he could have just like moved and relocated and found like a happy, peaceful place to like I don't know, sit on a lake and smoke cigars. And, but instead, he was like, "No, no, no, I have something better." And you know that that was just big drama at the time too, right? Like everyone was gossiping about it all the time. I'm sure it was big news every time one more acre sold. But anyway, his land. Acre by acre was sold, and many of the structures that were built in Washington, D.C. that we see today once was Mr. David Burns's land. Lafayette Square was where Burns's peach orchard was, and then the space behind that peach orchard is now the White House. Hmm. David Burns has not left his land. His spirit, his voice has been heard in the Oval Office. And in case anyone was questioning who they were hearing, he makes sure to tell them, I'm Mr. Burns. (laughs) Mr. Burns, sir, hats off to you. See, he's doing what we're saying. He's probably reading all the secret reports. He knows every classified, like piece of classified information. Yeah. And I, yeah, I respect it. I understand why he's haunting. Respect David Burns' ghost. I appreciate that the haunting he does is just speaking himself into existence, basically, and just announcing himself. Like, I still am a big part of here. You're on my land. This house, it's really mine. I also respect it because we so often hear ghost stories and there's just a lot of assumption of who it is. Whereas this one, he's very clear, like, I'm not going to leave this to your imagination. There's going to be no mystery behind who I am. Here I am. Exactly. I'm Mr. Burns. I'm Mr. Burns. Okay. So 70 some years after George Washington's presidency and the now established White House, Abraham Lincoln and Mary Todd Lincoln had moved into one of America's most important homes. And I'm going to pause for a second because I just have to tell you something funny that I read about them. That I was like, I know that this has nothing to do with the ghosts of them or the ghost stories that they experienced, but I think it's hilarious. But so Abe met Mary in 1839 after being ghosted by another Mary two years earlier. She didn't return a letter that he had said, wow. like, what are we? Circle yes or no. If <laughs> yes you or no. If you want to be my girlfriend. And she just ghosted him. Uh, so new Mary, <laughs> Mary Todd. And Lincoln, I guess, were super in love because they got engaged within a year. But then Abe called off the wedding. But then a year after, went back and had the wedding take place. So the wedding was back on. And as he was making his way to the ceremony, someone asked him where he was going. And he said, to hell, I suppose. (laughs) But they got married. And apparently he's remembered as being a super affectionate husband and father. So I have no idea if it was a joke, if he was super sarcastic, but I'm just like, screw the bachelor, screw keeping up with the Kardashians. I want a reality show where we can go back and see what was happening in Abe and Mary's life in the beginning of their relationship. Like this is the drama that I'm interested in seeing. I'm so fascinated because Abe, I feel like has almost become such a, I mean, obviously he's such a historical, prominent historical figure, but because of his influence and his like persona, 
I feel like he's become something so much bigger and who he actually was is perhaps a little bit dramatized. We've literally made him immortal. We've made a yeah. We've made him into a vampire slayer in Hollywood. <laughs> like Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of, we forget who he is. I always think about the Washington, is it the memorial? Or what's the building where he's massive? He's sitting in the chair. Yeah, he's huge. On the back of the penny. And people leave pennies on that like little statue. On the little statue? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one made people by People leave ants. little pennies on the big statue. On the big <laughs> statue. <laughs> Okay. Anywho, Abe and Mary, they're in love despite him saying that marrying her was going to hell. And eventually, Abraham Lincoln becomes the president of the United States. Mary Todd, now Mary Todd Lincoln, was the first lady. But in Lincoln's second year of presidency, sadly, their son Willie passed away of typhoid fever in the White House. How old was he? I, I think he was, um, there were some varying reports, but I think he was 11. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. They were obviously completely distraught because they lost their child, but also this was the second child that they lost in the recent years because they lost Willie's older brother, Eddie, just a few months before Willie was born to tuberculosis. How devastating. So it was extremely upsetting. Yeah. In Mary's grief, she remained in her room for weeks. Eventually, Mary Todd Lincoln comes out of her room, and this is when she began to hold seances in the White House to try to communicate with her children. She hosted them in the Red Room at the White House and also in the presidential cottage at the soldier's home. This is the best. So she was taking these seances on the road. Like, <laughs> wherever she was, she was doing it. Seance. That's also really sad to me. Like, it's so cool from a where we are, our podcast standpoint and something really cool to look back on, but the heartache that she must have been feeling to host seances continuously over and over and over. It also makes sense why in the 1800s, spiritualism was such a popular thing or like early- Yes. A late 1800s, early 1900s. No, this was, yeah, this was totally war. the time of spiritualism. And everyone is losing so many people and it's just like you want- you just want to hold on to them. And it's, yeah, so that breaks my heart a little bit. It does, but it's also, we still do it. We just package it a little bit differently. Now we have prayers. We go to mediums. Like there are so many different ways that we try to communicate with our loved ones. And back at the time of the age of spiritualism, it was through the spirit photography and through seances. So she was by far not the only person who was desperately trying to communicate with loved ones and have this connection through holding seances. But I think she was the first person to hold the seance in the White House. <laughs> so that is really cool. Not the last. I will say that. Okay. So she reported seeing her son Willie's spirit appear at the foot of her bed one night. She only saw him once, but her husband, Abraham Lincoln, the president, saw his son multiple times in the White House. Willie Lincoln and David Burns were not the only specters here because Mary also claimed that throughout all of this and trying to make contact with her, both of her sons, not only did she see Willie, but she also heard Thomas Jefferson playing violin in the yellow oval room, as well as encountering Andrew Jackson in the rose room, who was stomping and swearing 
and was really, really angry. But other people, aside from Mary Todd Lincoln, have also seen Andrew Jackson and have spotted him laying on his bed laughing really hard. Oh my gosh. And with a laugh that can be heard down the hallway. So it's like, hey, buddy, let us in on the joke. But sometimes (laughs) he's having a great time and other times he's like seeing red and spitting. Okay. So that one's interesting to me because I wonder if that one is a residual. Like if he's that angry, I wonder if something really wild happened. Yeah. I mean, think about the high stress, high stakes of of a job like that. It's all those before and afters that we see where they're like, Here's Barack Obama when he first went into office. Here's Barack Obama when he came out of office. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. So I wonder if that, the angry one is a residual haunting, but then also is the laughing such a, is that also a residual haunting where he was just having whatever the joke was, whatever his experience was, he had left so much, like so much of his joy poured out into that room that it was left behind. Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. Because it seems like we don't get like a middle ground of emotion with him. It's, it's the extremes. So definitely there could be quite a few residual hauntings here. I think a lot of them make sense to be that. Yeah. After Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in 1865, Mary was not able to handle her stress and depression. This was a awful, awful thing to go through. And her son, Robert, tried to get her help by having her spend some time in an asylum. Abe Lincoln, though he was deceased, joined his son in spirit form to roam and play through the halls of the White House. He's like the most infamous He is. He has become the most active spirit, haunting all future presidents to come. And I only focused on specifically like within the walls of the White House for this episode, but his spirit and so many other presidential spirits have been seen all over the place. All over. We should do a Abe Lincoln specific episode somewhere down the line. A little presidential haunting. Yes. Yeah. At first, that was my plan. I was like the White House slash presidential hauntings. And I was like, this would be 30 hours long. Yeah. You could do a whole season. Yeah. Okay. So Abe, super active ghost. He's haunting everybody. And in 1923, Calvin Coolidge took office. The First Lady Grace Coolidge soon had a sighting of Abe Lincoln. She saw what clearly looked to be Abraham Lincoln peering out of a window. The window he was looking out of used to be his office. So he was still spending a lot of time in his office. And this is a place that he would be seen quite frequently. In 1942, when Franklin Roosevelt was in office, Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands was visiting and she was sleeping in the bedroom, which had once been Abe Lincoln's bedroom. And she heard a polite knock at the door. So she got up, she opened the door, and in front of her was a tall, lanky, bearded Abraham Lincoln. She fainted. (laughs) (laughs) At least he knocked. He knocked. He knocked. And I love that he knocked and was still there. You know, it's not just like a knock and you open the door and you're like, who's there? Oh my God, a ghost. He's just there. Hello. Wow. Two years later, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill was also staying there at the same room, Abe Lincoln's old room. And he got out of the bath. He had a cigar still dangling between his lips. He's walking around naked, nude, slippery wet. Birthday suit. Birthday suit, and he makes his way back into the room from the bathtub, only he finds that he is not alone. No, there is a man standing at the fireplace, and this man is Abraham Lincoln. That's funny to me. It is funny. And I feel like Churchill's response was even funnier, because instead of fainting or panicking 
or just being confused, he instead said, good evening, Mr. President. You seem to have me at a disadvantage. <laughs> and then Abe was amused by this response and kind of gave like a little smirk, a little soft smile and then disappeared. I'm, <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> I also like, I don't know a ton about Churchill, but I know that he loved cats. And he had like, he had this orange tabby that he had a portrait hanging up. Like he had a portrait of his cat made. And it, anyway, I like him even more now. You have me at a disadvantage. Oh, you have me at a disadvantage. He's just like standing there, arms on his hip, cigar With dangling. His, Ween, his wiener Ween dangling. Oh, hello, Abe. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see ya. We're both uh, in different forms than we wish we were. Yes. I did see you talking about Churchill's cats. I saw a TikTok the other day that was posted by some sort of historian that was just rec uh, recalling odd historic facts. And it was basically talking about how so much of, of the plagues throughout history have been caused by ticks, by ticks becoming infected and then ticks biting rats and mice and then rats and mice infesting humans' homes and then people getting sick. And then we have all these plagues. And so the people that had cats, which were primarily women, the cats would basically ensure that there were no mice and rats in someone's home. And by no mice and rats, there were fewer fleas. And so the people that were surviving were primarily women, which is why people started thinking that they were witches. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So Abe despite appearing in his full body apparition multiple times all throughout the past few centuries, he doesn't seem to speak. He never, he never says any words in response to anyone, or at least that I saw, but he doesn't need to because apparently when he does show up, his presence gives you all that you need to know. He's said to only appear when he's concerned for the country. So it's kind of ominous, his appearance. When he's stressed about our futures, he'll pop in. <laughs> it also kind of sounds like a like a parent being like, what have you done? Think about what you're about to do. Think about what you're about to do. And so not only is he stressed for the country, but he's he's wearing the stress. Like he's visibly stressed. People know that his ghost is stressed because staff will hear Abe Lincoln pacing across the second floor hallways, tapping on doors, pensively looking out windows. Like he's just so stressed out. <gasps> All these presidents are stressing the hell out of the ghost of Abe Lincoln. Wow. He really, I mean, what I love about this is that Abe took on his presidency as a lifelong duty and beyond life. He, he, he was like, I'm going to continue shepherding this country into the future, even from the other side. It is interesting. And maybe I have my, my presidential and historic facts wrong here. But I remember learning in school that Abe Lincoln was the one that had initially proposed and put into to place terms. So you could only serve a certain amount of terms instead of just like infinitely being able to be voted. So you could you know, every four years the voting happened, but you could only be serve a total of eight right, term, years. consecutive terms. And so Wait, I just think it's funny. You mean eight, eight consecutive years? Oh, sorry. Eight consecutive years. Okay. Yes. Yeah, Two consecutive like... terms. So it is funny that if my fact is correct, that he said that and yet he is sticking around the entire time. <laughs> He's like, it doesn't mean I trust you all. I'm just trying to be fair. 
He's an advisor. Yeah, he's a board of directors. Yeah. Okay. So many of the staff members have, over the past century, have seen him, have heard him. They say he's likely in his bedroom most of the time, sometimes in the office. Sometimes he's out and about, but mostly he can be seen there. And they do believe that perhaps he's in his bedroom more than we know because there are a lot of pets, dogs in specific in the White House, that refuse to go into that room specifically. So I don't know if Abe was not a dog person or if the dogs are just like, there's too much melancholy energy happening here and I'm only for all the pets and good vibrations. I'm out. But they do not like Abraham Lincoln's bedroom. And now I want to know if he didn't like dogs because... Yeah, maybe he didn't. That feels so specific and... Yeah, I don't know. Like, what? what is it about Abe's energy these dogs don't want to be around? I don't know. I feel like he could he could really use some time with a dog. It, it would help with his stress levels, but he must not like them. He must not. Maybe not. I don't know. But many of the staff members have seen Abe around his room, around his office. They've seen him putting on his boots, hanging by the window, standing by the fireplace. And his son, Willie, will also appear on occasion, usually startling staff members, because unlike Abe, who politely knocks or just is kind of chilling in one place, it said that he's he's a little more wild, you know, like he, he's a little boy. So I think he's just kind of like flying through the halls, like, wow, which is appearing sometimes and it's scaring people. Okay. But remember when I said earlier, that President Truman wrote to his wife saying that this place was sure as shoot and haunted. Mm -hmm. His daughter, Margaret, Margie, she experienced a lot in this house and she would constantly hear the floors, like the pops and creaks and footsteps on the floors and she would also hear knocking on the doors and she would witness drapes suddenly swaying back and forth. And so she also having a youthful young spirit similar to Willie the ghost, she was like, I'm going to ghost hunt. I'm going to investigate this place. My dad thinks it's haunted. I think it's haunted. I'm going to find some proof. So she probably was maybe one of the first people to go on a ghost hunt in the White House, sort of. I know because that's the hardest thing is that like the public can't go ghost and hunting or do a paranormal investigation in the White House. It's just not allowed. It doesn't work that way. So we have to rely on all of the president's children to help <laughs> us out here and give us all the answers. So Margie Truman, she, well, technically it was a dare. She was dared to go sleep in Abraham Lincoln's bedroom one night. And she couldn't I wonder sleep. how many Ouija boards have been played in the White House. Oh, I think so many, because there were so many reports of all of the kids of the presidents like playing the Ouija boards, <laughs> a few of the first ladies doing seances, like there's there's a lot. I can imagine some of these presidents being like, let's just dabble with the uh, Ouija board, pull it out, see what happens. Yeah, uh, let's hope that they close those portals after they opened them. <laughs> but Margie Truman, she's sleeping in this room, except she's not sleeping, really. She couldn't sleep. Her eyes are darting around with every creak and pop in the house. She's super scared that she's going to run into Abe Lincoln, even though she was really the one who wanted to find proof of the haunting. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you and I, where we get excited, but then it's also, we're scared. Totally. And it's like, we did this to ourselves, but why did we do this to ourselves? But also, because I can't it's stop. fun. We yeah. love it and we'll do it again. Yes. So a man appeared 
in the middle of the night in this bedroom, and she saw the signature top hat indicating that it was Abraham Lincoln. Only it wasn't Abe. It was her dad, President Truman, pranking her. Or at least oh. I, I read that he had someone else in the staff come in so that she wouldn't recognize him right away and scare her by pretending to be Abe Lincoln. Classic dad move. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So President Truman, he still had many experiences of his own, even though he was having fun kind of messing around and scaring his own daughter a little bit. He had many, many experiences. In another letter written to his wife, he wrote, quote, I sit here in this old house and work on foreign affairs, read reports and work on speeches all the while listening to the ghosts walk up and down the hallway and even right in here in the study. The floors pop, the drapes move back and forth. I can just imagine old Andy Jackson and Teddy Roosevelt having an argument over Franklin Roosevelt. <laughs> so he felt them around him constantly. Wow. So while Margie didn't get proof of the ghosts and actually be able to see any of the ghosts, another president's daughter did. Who? Lyndon Johnson's daughter, Linda. <laughs> she was in her room. And this was the very room where Abe Lincoln's son, Willie Lincoln, had passed away. Oh. One night, or one day, I don't know what time of day this was, but there's a boy that appears to her. And it wasn't until after the fact, when she was retelling what she had experienced, that they realized that the boy that she had seen was likely Willie Lincoln. So... It kind of makes me sad that like the one time he's trying to pop into another kid's life, he's probably trying to like play and make a friend. Yeah. He thought he had a shot. He tried. Maybe he tried again. We don't know. Another daughter, and I'm getting the sense that all of the president's daughters are more haunted than the president's here. President Jimmy Carter's daughter, Amy, she did a bit of a seance of her own. One Halloween, she called upon Lincoln's ghost. May he show himself to her. She and a friend then whipped out a Ouija board and they used the Ouija board. And to everything that I could see, it seemed like they were getting responses and the Ouija board was working. And so then they were like, let's take it a step further. Let's spend the night in Lincoln's room and see if we get an encounter with Abraham Lincoln. But instead, similar to what Truman did to his own daughter, another staff member dressed in a white sheet came busting in the door to scare them. What's a bummer about that is like, had this person not done that, would they have encountered a real spirit, you know? I know. I feel like there. this is the conspiracy right here. This is something is afoot and all of these... These White House staff members and parents are really trying super hard to make sure these kids don't encounter something. But I feel like they try and it's impossible to actually prevent it. Uh, what I also love is that these are the, there's probably so many stories in the same way, like so many things are classified in history and in like politics that we're only hearing maybe, I would even say a fraction of a percentage of stories. Oh my God. Yeah. That's the thing about ghost stories is like, Think about how many things that we hear and experience and whatnot, and we are chronicling them, some of them on the podcast, but it's not like those places listen to our podcast and are like, oh, when Sabrina was here, she got all these weird phone calls in the middle of the night and are like logging it, right? So even we, while publicly talking about it, it's still a lot of the things that we experience aren't attached to the actual places in any way. And I'm sure there's so many in the White House. Just so, so many. Yeah, I agree. B. 
beyond what we can even research. So Ronald Reagan's daughter, another president's daughter, Susan, she actually did encounter Abe Lincoln's spirit. She walked into Abe's old room and she saw a man standing at the window looking out. Only this man was see-through. She could see this man and his suit, his skin, his hair, his beard, but she could also see the window, the sky, the trees, the ledge, the wood, the walls, the curtains. This man, the see-through man, starts to turn towards her and as he does, he disappears. Ronald Reagan's dog would bark nonstop every time he was outside of Abe Lincoln's door. So Abe is just really, he he still lives there. He lives there. And I guess he's not a dog person. That I think we can assume. Yeah. George W. Bush's daughter, Jenna. So we're getting much closer in, in recent past. Like these people are still alive and they were alive when we were kids and in office. So George W. Bush's daughter, Jenna, woke up one evening to the sound of 1920s music coming out of her fireplace. She ran to her sister, Barbara's room, who in a very classic sister move was like, I don't believe you. <laughs> you're, you're being <laughs> ridiculous. But then Jenna made a dare and she was like, Barbara, I dare you to sleep in my room because this is real and this is happening. So the next night, the two girls together, they slip into Jenna's bed and they eventually fall asleep without an encounter. But then in the middle of the night, they awoke to opera music playing so loudly. It was blaring. It was like a huge concert coming from the fireplace. Whoa. They're covering their ears. It's so loud. The next day, Buddy, the White House butler, asked how they slept. They told him what they experienced and he told them that, yeah, he totally believed them because this is something that he and other staff members have experienced on and off for years. Wow. This music blaring from the fireplace or just phantom music coming from somewhere within the building. President Gerald Ford's daughter, Susan, also had a run in by the fireplace, the fireplace in Abe Lincoln's bedroom. She was walking, not paying much attention to her surroundings. And then, bam face-to-face -face with Abe Lincoln. She was so scared, she never went into that room again. She refused to until she and a friend were dared to spend the night in that room. Mm. They awoke in the middle of the night to a ghostly-looking figure in the corner. But it was another bedsheet, and this time it was over her mom. And her mom, in a ghostly voice, was <laughs> reciting the Gettysburg Address. So I'm like, ah, another ghost hunt foiled by the parents <laughs> foiled it's a cover-up but at least she saw abe lincoln's ghost before right like she knew that yeah. he actually wasn't there the obamas have a similar story sneaking downstairs late at night for a late night snack believing to encounter a ghost that turned out to just be barack obama uh but i don't know i feel like some of these things these kids are haunted some of this is cover-up <laughs> there's always a cover-up Oh, yeah. There are so many more stories and spirits to prove it uh, beyond just the president. So we're going to go into some of the other people outside of Abe Lincoln. Yeah, it's a crowded place. <laughs> Over the past 150 years, staff members believe that the spirit of Annie Surratt, which I could be saying her last name wrong, remains within the White House's walls. Annie's mother, Mary, was convicted of playing a role in Lincoln's assassination, and she was hanged for it alongside three others. Before Annie's mother, Mary, was executed, Annie went to the White House on July 7th of 1865 to plead for her mother's release. It's believed that now when people hear banging on the front doors, rattling of the gates, and these phantom cries and pleading, that it's Annie's spirit begging for her mom to be saved. Oh, 
That's sad. So sad. It's like really heartbreaking. I know. So this had happened on July 7th when she'd gone to basically intercept President Andrew Johnson and plead for her mom's life. So supposedly on July 7th each year, it is said that Annie's ghost paces back and forth on the front steps, reliving that moment where she was waiting for President Andrew Johnson to arrive so that she could ask for her mother's forgiveness. However, while this is incredibly sad, I would like to think that this, Sabrina, like what you were saying before about some of the stuff being a residual haunting, I feel like this is a residual haunting, right? Like this is such a horrific and heartbreaking thing to experience in your life. And I I feel like the desperation and the fear would surely pile onto each other and create this sort of stain. And just this moment comes over and over and over again because that's it's residually there because of all the pain. It doesn't seem like an active haunting that she does other things. I would much prefer that. But yeah, and I do and I do feel like oftentimes those types of hauntings are residual and I Yeah. Yeah, I hope. <sighs> Me too. Okay, so while we hope that it's not Annie's spirit actively being there, we do know that there are two other women who do appear to potentially actively be there in the White House. Enter a few of the first ladies. John Adams was America's first vice president, the second president. I think he was the first one to live in the White House too, because George Washington did not, question mark. Abigail Adams, his wife, was the first first lady to live in the White House. She would do her laundry and she would use the East Room to dry her sheets. I don't know if this was just a really relaxing task for her, if there was someone else who wanted to do her sheets for her. And she was like, no, no, no. Let me just be away from the stress of people and my husband running the country and me running the country and leave me the hell alone. But this was a place that she spent a lot of time doing her laundry, being surrounded by like the good smells of laundry and folding her clean sheets. To this day, people still encounter Abigail Adams around that room, walking with an armful, people assume, clean linens. Her arms are outstretched and there's nothing on them. And it will be accompanied by the smell of wet laundry and lavender. How peaceful, how soothing. So see, that one's interesting to me because that almost makes me think less of a haunting and more of a... Time glitch? Time glitch. Because especially, I don't know, it's either that or it's a residual because to me in my, in my brain and, and trying to in, like work out the logics of it, but because she's not interacting with people and she's continuing to do the thing that she was known to do in that room. So I, I don't know. True. Yeah. I don't know if this answers anything, but she was also another one of the first ladies to hold seances in the White House. So I don't know if that answers anything or or adds anything, but it, it is interesting that she she was obviously connected to and believed in the in the paranormal and in the afterlife. So I would be curious if given the option to relive the things that made her happiest and, and most comfortable in life, if she chose to do that in the afterlife, like being in this grand house and not a bad place to haunt. No. Dolly Madison lived in the White House as the First Lady just eight years after Abigail Adams, and she too can be found relaxing away from human beings. Her spirit is sometimes seen in the garden, and a hundred years after she lived there during the Woodrow Wilson administration, the Rose Garden, there was basically plans to move the Rose Garden to a different part of the property, but Dolly Madison made sure to show up constantly, and so that made all of the planning meetings and all of the people who were a part of that, basically the staff was like, maybe we should give up 
our plans because apparently Dolly really wants the flowers to stay here and there's no need to disrupt the ghosts. So from what I could see, the garden was kept exactly where it was because of Dolly. Go Dolly. That is okay. That, that to me is so freaking cool. And I so badly want to have that much influence when I'm a ghost. I know. Well, it kind of reminds me of, remember I told you the story that I heard in... It's like November of 2020 when I was at my Grammy's house in Maine and on that lake, my uh, like great aunt Mary and great aunt Pee Wee's house was purchased by someone new and Mary had appeared to this woman during the renovations. The and new owner. Yeah. Her appearance and her like warmth and her like spectral message to this woman was to not touch the sunroom, the like front porch that she loved so much. So they kept that. They renovated the rest of it, but that front porch is the same. Wow. I also, when I was reading this about about the the first ladies haunting the White House, I was like, we have Hamilton the musical, we have Six the musical, and wouldn't you, I would die for a musical about the ghosts of the first ladies haunting the White House, living out their days, learning government secrets, fucking around, doing whatever the hell they want. That seems so fun. We can write it. Let's Let's do do it. it. Okay. Add it to the list. Add it to our very, very long growing list. Like I feel like our list of business endeavors is one of those ones that it would be on a scroll. And as you drop it, it would roll very, very far down a long corridor. Oh, I'm going to buy one of those scrolls. I'm going to start writing them that way. That will be fun because then when we're like 70 and we're like, what did, what did we accomplish? I'll do the scroll and we can go through and we'll check off what we did. Wait, that's actually kind of a good idea if we have that next to us. Oh, are you thinking like how people in restaurants, how they have the little board? Yeah. And we should like pause as we're recording. I'm like adding to the list and we actually keep a tally, a tracker that it is in the video. Genius. All right. Adding to my list. Order scroll. It's Amazon Prime Day today as we're recording this. So I know my mom just told me my protein drinks are on sale. Ooh, she called me while recording to uh, tell me that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So there are plenty more spirits within the White House walls and property. William Henry Harrison was the first president to die in the White House. And there were also a lot of people to die in the White House. Uh, he now haunts the attic. His VP, John Tyler, took over as president from 1841 to 1845 and has been seen in the Blue Room proposing to his second wife, First Lady Julia Gardner. He's continually seen proposing? I guess so. That's got to be residual, and that's a beautiful residual haunting. I love that. I do hope, though, because his first wife, who he, I think he was married to her for like 20 or 30 years, and they had a bunch of kids, she died of a stroke in the White House two years before. So man, I hope her spirit has moved on and there's no hard feelings about that. And she's not there watching him propose to someone new over and over again. A few non-presidential hauntings take place here too. There is a torch-wielding British soldier from the War of 1812 who is spotted roaming the White House grounds. They believe this guy basically was a soldier who supposedly died while lighting the White House on fire in 1814 which I didn't even know that happened, but it did. And his spirit is still seen in his uniform attempting to light things on fire, like bedroom mattresses. What? (laughs) Why? He's trying to finish the job, I think. What? Okay. 
So he's seen trying to light things on fire. Like I want, I just, I want to know what and what he's doing. I, I want to see this. Haunting is his name and uh, <laughs> pyromaniacs is his game, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves fire. And then there's something that they call the thing, which sounds so ominous. Yeah. But it's upsetting that it's called the thing because this is the spirit of a 15-year-old boy. <laughs> Why is it called the thing? Why is he the thing? Well, at first I was like, I feel so bad for the thing, this boy. But then I'm also, I'm not so sure that it is a 15-year-old boy. So here's what happened. The only person that I could see ever talking about this 15-year-old boy was President William Taft, who said that he could feel, quote, the thing's presence and that he'd feel a pressure on his shoulders as if the boy is leaning over him, kind of like hunched on top of him. And President William Taft was so scared of the thing, this young teenage boy, uh, but he didn't want the public to know about it. So he threatened all of the staff who knew that he was being actively haunted by the thing telling them that if they ever repeated these stories about the thing, they would be fired. He would fire them. So I was curious because I was like, I have not heard, from, not that I'm talking to the presidents. I have not heard from a single other president. <laughs> they I haven't have, reached out? No. Oh my gosh, how rude. I read and listened to and researched so much for this episode. And there's so much more that could have been in here. But in all of that research, I didn't see anything else about a boy this age. I could have missed it. It could be somewhere else. But that made me think that potentially this wasn't a spirit associated with the White House, but maybe this was some sort of dark entity parading as a teenage boy that was attached to President Taft, especially just the the fact that this thing was like encroaching on him, hunched over his shoulders, kind of attached to him, like worrying him, tormenting him, always watching him. Maybe, but I also wonder if because of Taft's like ignoring this spirit and being so rude about like, you know, almost, I feel like, and it's interesting because I feel like I'm I'm usually inclined to believe that it's something dark and I'm down for that. I'm down for that version. I'm down for darkness. But I also wonder, it's kind of like with Santa, if you don't believe he loses his magic and same with Tinkerbell. And like, if he's being demeaned so much, the spirit that he disappeared. Oh, that makes me sad. But then it's also like, well, why did he appear at that time in the first place? Like if he's, he was already there, wouldn't other people have seen him potentially? Yeah, I don't know. And maybe maybe it was a spirit that very much was exactly as he was appearing to be, but Taft had done something in his past that led to this spirit. I was just going to say conspiracy. Taft had a child with another woman and he passed away and because Taft was not present, he the son haunted him in the in the White House. Yeah, that's a better conspiracy. My mind immediately was like, Taft is a murderer, serial oh. killer. Oh, <laughs> and this is one of his victims coming to haunt him. We're gonna get in trouble by so many people. They're gonna be like, "How dare you make up these rumors about these presidents?" Hey, I never thought I'd ever get invited to the White House, so nothing's lost here for me. Oh, see, I always thought I'm for sure going to get a Medal of Honor <laughs> bestowed You're upon awarded me. 
a medal of honor I'm taken down to like chained in one of those secret tunnels for divulging too many government Which you secrets. would be so excited to be chained in a secret tunnel. Are you kidding? Uh, That's a you dream were come true. All the things I thought were real. <laughs> <laughs> We've lost it. Oh my gosh. Okay, so there are certainly many spirits within the White House. We know that. And though renovations over the past century have disrupted a few of the more active hauntings and, and I guess, led to less spirit activity over recent past, I will leave you with this. One of our more recent presidential families, the Obamas, felt that there were spirits still lurking within the walls. They would hear strange noises at night, but the noises weren't very worrying compared to the odd sensation that they'd sometimes feel. They would feel... Once they had tucked themselves into bed, the sensation of someone gnawing at their feet. What? Is it a pet or a human? I don't know. I hope it was an animal. People can lick too. So there you have it. One of the most active haunted houses. That's it? That You just ended it with that? That's all I could find. No more information on the gnawing of the fate. But yeah, most active haunted house is uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the White House. Wow. So, okay. <sighs> okay. I'm just stuck on the gnawing on the feet. I can't believe you I left know. it there. Oh, I Googled. I was like, Obama's haunted. Obama's haunted. Like Michelle haunted. Barack haunted. All, all, the kids haunted. And it, I didn't really get much more information than people being like, was the gnawing of the feet? Were those pets? Were they human? Like everyone had the same questions. And I didn't know where this information actually came from. So should I, should I tweet at Barack? Yeah. Yeah. He'll for sure respond. I feel like he might. I'm going to be like, there are a hundred some days till Halloween. So what's up with this? Cause I need an answer right now. <laughs> okay. Let me know if he responds. Stay tuned. Okay. Okay. Well, the White House, yes. This is not a surprise to me. I think it's really cool to hear all the specific stories, but also now my my selfish desires are being are like, well, that's not enough. I know that there's more. I know that people are hiding things and I know that there are more ghost stories along with classified secrets that the government knows and isn't telling us. And um Oh my gosh. Here's the thing. I feel like What's the thing? I don't even believe that the presidents know much information about some of these conspiracies, but I feel like some of the answers are within the walls. And so if we ever get to the point where we get to astral project and consciously go places, despite there very likely being some sort of astral protection bodyguards, I feel like we should try to commune with some of the first ladies and the ghosts here and be like, what have you seen? What's the E! News report? <laughs> What's the 411? Tell me the goss. Do, 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 do. I'm down to do that. As I master my astral projection, I will mosey on over there and um, another stay tuned because that's a part of our long scroll. I'm also going to order us the scrolls because I think that's such a fun okay. idea. Okay. That is really fun. I really do love it. I have a listener story. Let's hear it. Is it from Abraham? What accent are we doing today? <laughs> this is my Sussex accent. <laughs> <laughs> is it from Abraham? <laughs> Keely. What's the, the Manchester accent, right? From uh, the poopy. <laughs> God, I love that show. 
It is so good. Ooh, I'm sweating um, all of a sudden. It's a little stank ass. It's, it's poopé over here. I feel like you also kind of just slipped into like Shrek accent. <laughs> oh my God. Donkey. Donkey. <laughs> okay. Um, this is from our listener, Liz, and it's called Presidential Haunting. Howdy from Texas. I just listened to your campfire episode about haunted workplaces, and I could not run to my desk fast enough to write this email. I work for a presidential foundation that shall remain unnamed because I'd really like to keep my job. Fun fact, Texas is home to three presidential libraries. Our office is connected to a private apartment where the former president and his wife often stayed. I feel like Liz is giving us a lot of clues to, to, to figure out We're where We're going to find is. you. The setup even includes a secret door that leads from the living room area to our conference room, which was previously the president's office. Oh, this is so cool. Though the president and first lady both passed some years ago, the apartment stayed pretty much intact and is still very much in use. The family still stays here from time to time, and we host many dinner and cocktail parties for our donors here. So fun. For reference, the presidential complex consists of three buildings. The Presidential Conference Center, where my office and living quarters are located, the School of Government, and the Presidential Library and Museum. Now to the fun part. I don't think the president and his wife ever really left. On my first day of the job, I noticed that the doors on the Secret Service elevator would open and close at random. Even the cleaning crew would say things like, it's okay, Mrs. First Lady, it's just us. I love that. I didn't think much of it. It's an old building. Things break. I would hear footsteps occasionally and doors would close on their own sometimes. But I always told myself it was the wind or my imagination. On one particular night over a year and a half after I was hired, I was working late. I can't remember the exact time, but I do remember it was getting dark. I started walking through the apartment to make sure all the lights were off and doors were closed. When I saw him, the president, I think. I was standing in the foyer facing the living room when I saw a large, dark shadow sitting on the couch. I couldn't make out any facial features, but we have plenty of photos of the president around the complex. The shadow had his exact body type, and he was sitting exactly like he sat in those photos. I ran out of there so fast, I didn't even check the other rooms. And so fast forward a couple of weeks later, which is around Halloween time, I'm sitting in my coworker's office and we're talking about ghost stories and I decide to tell mine. She responds with, you know about the little girl on the third floor of the library, right? Excuse me? According to the cleaning crew, they have all heard a little girl crying on the third floor of the library and museum building. Now it's important to note that the third floor of the library and museum stores all of the president's possessions that the family did not claim as part of the estate. So the entire floor is packed with all sorts of interesting items, including gifts of the state, family portraits, books, his collection of boots, awards and medals that were given, and their daughter's old toys. Their beloved oldest daughter succumbed to leukemia years before he became president. She's now buried on the grounds of the presidential complex alongside her parents. When the library and museum was built, they relocated her body to the complex grounds where they knew they would be buried one day. They also brought all of her toys for storage and safekeeping. So since hearing that story, I have paid more attention to the sounds and creaks around the office. Just last week, we were preparing for an event 
when I heard a phone ring. It didn't sound like our office phones. And at first I thought a coworker probably forgot their cell phone until I heard someone answer the phone. All they said was, hello. It was coming from the secret service elevator. The doors were wide open and no one was inside. The president's other daughter has also had an experience or two. As she was preparing for an event, she was standing in front of the mirror, fixing her dress. She joked about how the dress was maybe two fingers too short and that her mom would have made her change. She said, but she's not here, so she can't stop me. Almost immediately, the mirror that she was standing in front of fell off the hook and shattered. Oh my God. So she went and changed out of the dress. Oh no. The overnight security guards have also talked about the shadow of a man walking around different parts of the museum. These sightings tend to happen more often when we are preparing for big events. I like to think that the president and the first lady are just stopping by to check in and make sure we're doing things correctly. If you ever want to tour the presidential apartment, shoot me an email, Liz. Uh, Liz, Liz. you are going to be in Texas. So. Oh my gosh. Respond to her immediately. We need to know I exactly where. Oh my God. That would be the coolest thing. Oh. I can't, what are, what even are our lives? This is so <laughs> cool that we even have people in the vicinity of us that would think of potentially offering us this opportunity. Like, oh my God. Remember that one listener who offered to take us on a helicopter tour in New York City? <gasps> Why didn't we do it? We well, should reach I would, out now. I'm afraid of helicopters. I'll stand on the ground and I'll wave at you as you go. <laughs> that would be great I'm for you. I'm do it without you. <laughs> See, I'm the one that wants to be feet on the ground. Like I'm not, I'm not even a roller coaster rider, but I'm the one who's battling a codependency issue. So, (laughs) so this will be our exercise. You'll still see me. You'll still get to see where I am. I'll have a really big, I'll wear like a giant red cape. (laughs) Thank you. Spot me wherever you are in the sky. I'm still here. I'm in the helicopter and I'm just looking, but where'd Chris go? Oh, Oh, that's the statue. No, where'd Corinne go? (laughs) How about this? I rent a drone. I put a popsicle stick of my face on the drone and I fly next to you. (laughs) Or I could just take the popsicle stick with me. That might be easier. Let's complicate (laughs) things. Come on. Let's let's old man burns it and make things way more complicated than we need to. Oh, David Burns. One acre at a time. That's how we have to get through life, you know, just little by little. Uh, That's a beautiful sentiment. One acre at a time. One acre at a time. Well, thanks for listening. We do hope you are coming to our live shows. We hope so. We also hope that if you have ghost stories, if you've seen, if you know the secrets of the president, if you are a president, Brock, we're looking at you, email us your ghost stories, two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And yes, buy tickets to our show. You can join us on Patreon for Campfire Stories. We also will be doing a lot of vlogs while we are on the road. So you can watch those on Patreon. What else? Rate and review us on iTunes. uh, Follow us on socials. I don't know. We're just happy you're here. Happy to be here. Happy you're here. Happy that we have such an incredible team. Christina, shout out to Christina who edits our audio and our video. And also shout out to the moderators, the people who are helping keep Discord and Facebook and all that jazz nice and safe and fun and pleasant for all of us. So shout out to that group as well. 
And shout out to Avery and Loren who are helping us tremendously on the admin and social media front and business side. It's we have a team. Yeah. It's awesome. We have a team where people are helping us to get us to the point where we were able to go on tour. So shout out to everybody. Shout out yeah. to all of you. We, we love, love you. you and we will see, see you on, on the, the other, other side. side.